0: Good morning, friends. It's Trinity Sunday. My message today is titled, Watch Your Words. James 4.11 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now, what exactly does James have in mind here? When he says, Do not speak evil, he uses a Greek word that is a combination of two other words, one meaning against, and the other meaning to speak. Now, our English phrase, put down, perfectly captures the meaning. It's sometimes translated as slander or criticize. Uh, Related words could be vilify or gossip or belittle. And sometimes we use the expression bad mouth as in, you know, don't bad mouth your friends or no one wants to hire a person who bad mouths their former boss. And then he adds another qualifier. We must not speak evil against one another. Well, the Greek word translated brother means one born from the same womb. And because we share a common spiritual heritage, we owe it to our brothers and sisters in Christ to treat them with courtesy. Now, James doesn't mean to limit this only to Christians. It's not as if he's saying, be kind to fellow believers, but it's okay to badmouth everyone else. That's obviously wrong. But his words remind us that we owe a debt of love to those who share our faith in Jesus Christ. That's why I get a little bit perturbed sometimes when I read some of the comments by people that I might put quotation marks around Christian as they respond to different people on Facebook. You know, I think this tells us we must not spread rumors. We need to assume the best and not the worst. We need to be silent if we can't be kind. We must not rejoice when fellow believers fall into sin. We must not rejoice in exposing their weaknesses we must not share things that are better left unsaid. We must not lie just to prove our point. We must not exaggerate the faults of others. We must not we must not tell the truth to injure others. If we say we never do this, well we're just lying to ourselves. So friends, let's be honest. We love to talk about other people to evaluate them online <laughs> on Uh, on Facebook, you name it. We like to discuss what they say and do and how they dress and who they hang out with and what their political beliefs are and on and on and on. We talk about how somebody treats his wife or how she treats him or how they raise their kids or how much money they have or don't have or why some people got a divorce and why some people can't get a job or hold a job and how the pastor is losing his touch and on and on and on. And, of course, social media encourages critical comments because criticism draws attention. I mean, to be honest, if you want more likes on your Facebook post or more retweets, I mean, post some sort of a rude or catty comment, offer a clever retort, use foul language. And that disturbs me to see the foul language that is posted by people, again, I would say, in quotes, Christian people. We all know, too, that bad news uh, outsells good news. Uh, I mean, there's an old adage that said, if it bleeds, it leads. But see, harsh words make headlines. a fact that our politicians exploit to their benefit, that's just plain simple, our world. Become a verbal assassin, and you can kind of watch your stock rise. Now, we can say it shouldn't be this way, especially among Christians, and that would be true. But we are not exempt from the temptation to be unkind. One of the commentators I read pointed out that a few sins are so thoroughly condemned in the Bible as gossip, slander, and evil speech. Romans 1, verse 30 classifies slanderers as next to the haters of God. I mean, search your Bible from cover to cover. Not one good word is spoken about gossip, rumor-mongering, evil speech, critical comments, backbiting, ugly talk. Now, James goes on to give two reasons why it's wrong uh, to, to be a verbal assassin. Here's reason number one. You break God's law. Verse 11, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. See, the argument kind of goes like this. You slander someone, but God says you need to love these people, your brother. You therefore act as if what God says doesn't matter. And you have judged the law by judging your brother. I mean, just suppose you're in a hurry to get home one day after being busy at work, and while you're driving, you come upon a work zone with a sign telling you that the speed limit is 25 miles an hour. You look around, don't see anyone in sight, you cruise along at 55. Now, that's a foolish and dangerous thing to do because there may be workers you've not seen. You might be stopped given a ticket. But see, friends, that's not really the point here. By going 30 miles over the speed limit, you are judging that the law does not apply to you. Because you're tired and in a hurry, you disregard the law and act as if it doesn't matter. You're you're really saying, this law is stupid, and I don't have to obey it. And that's exactly what James is talking about. Every foolish remark, every critical comment, every unkind tweet, every unkind Facebook post is a way of proclaiming, I can say what I want because God's law doesn't apply to me. Verbal assassins attack because they think they can get away with it. But James offers a second reason to take this warning seriously. Here it is. You usurp God's authority. Verse 12 says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, note the reason James gives. He says there is only one lawgiver. Well, you know, in theory, we all agree to this. We all understand there is one God who reigns supreme because he created all things. The one who made the universe makes the rules that govern the universe. I mean, his sovereignty is unrivaled. His authority is unquestioned. His will is unchanging. His record is unblemished. His steps are untraceable. His wisdom unparalleled. His power is unending. His words unprecedented. His kingdom is unstoppable. And because he is God, he does what he pleases, And no one can persuade him to change his mind. When he set the stars in their courses, no one can alter their path through the skies. When he makes a declaration, no one can veto his plans. See, James wants us to think about God in superlative terms. The bigger our God, the more we will appreciate what he says and does. He alone gives life. He alone takes life. He alone can save. He alone can destroy. When you criticize, you're saying, I know better than God does. The judging here is the kind condemned by Jesus in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. It's sinful judging that virtually puts us in the place of God. And we can judge words and deeds, but we can't judge the heart. We can know what a person does. We can't know with certainty why they did it. Only God can peer into the hidden recesses of the heart to judge motives with unerring accuracy. Sometimes I hear Christians being very careless about passing judgment on certain politicians they don't like. And let's be honest, we live in angry times. It feels like the national blood pressure has gone up 100 points in just the last three or four months. It's easy to listen to a leader you don't like and quickly declare that so-and-so can't possibly be a Christian. Well, to be clear about it, it's perfectly possible to claim to be a Christian and yet not know the Lord. But that warning is not given so we will judge politicians we don't like. The warning is given so that we will judge, guess who? Ourselves. Make sure you know the Lord and let God take care of that politician. It's not my job to determine who goes to heaven. That's God's job. As someone once said, I'm in sales, not administration. Uh, I've been reading some biographies lately, and uh, not long ago I read American Caesar. It's the biography of General Douglas MacArthur. And the author quotes from MacArthur's speech in September of 1945 at the surrender of the Japanese forces on the USS Missouri. And buried in that speech are some kind of prophetic words regarding the future of war in an atomic age. Let me just read this to you. He wrote, We have had our last chance. If we do not now devise some greater and more equitable system, Armageddon will be at our door. The problem basically is theological and involves a spiritual Recrudescence and improvement of human character that will synchronize with our almost matchless advances in science, art, literature, and all material and cultural developments of the past 2,000 years. It must be of the spirit if we are to save the flesh. You know, those words seem as true today. I mean, warfare has not ceased, Armageddon, at the end of time, still at our door. But I was really struck by that phrase the problem, basically. Is theological. What causes hatred between nations? Why do we brag and strut and threaten to rain destruction on each other? Why do the nations rage? As scripture says, I mean, for that matter, why do marriages break up? Why do families fall apart? Why do churches split? I mean, why can't we all get along? Uh, Why do we have race wars? Why do we worry and fret over things? Well, the problem is basically theological. And that's precisely the point James is making. We attack each other because we have abandoned God. We hate each other because we do not respect the Ten Commandments. We speak evil against each other because we think we know better than God. I don't know if that should surprise us at all. After all, what was the first temptation? The serpent said to Eve, you will be like God. Well, it's no wonder she ate the fruit. No wonder what Adam did too. We all want to be like God. We all want to run our own little corner of the universe. And when you decide to play God, you can say anything you want. You can treat people like dirt. You can attack their motives. You can make absurd accusations. You can write anything you like on Facebook. You can stir up a tweet storm. You can post anonymous criticism. And why not? But when you're God, no one can tell you what to do. That's the whole point of this Bible passage. You know, it's amazing how all roads lead back to the same question. Who's going to be God today? Well, friends, if you're going to be God, the rest of us better take cover because you can blow your top and justify anything you say. You can spew venom and destroy your friends or drag down your pastor or blow up your favorite ministry or leave a trail of bitter tears in your wake. But that's not all. If you are going to be God, you can do whatever you want and walk away laughing because you've justified yourself in your own mind. You answer to no one. That's what's at stake In this little passage, the question is, who will be God today? If God is God, then there will be no room for bitter words because you respect the Lord. You will hold your tongue because you believe vengeance belongs to the Lord. You will be careful with your words because you know the Lord hears everything you say. You will pause before posting that snarky comment because you don't want to judge someone unfairly. We struggle with the sin of speaking evil because it doesn't seem like a big sin to us. I mean, it's so easy to excuse our unkind words. I was tired. Well, friends, we're all tired. It was her fault. Well, then let the Lord deal with her. What I said was the truth. Yes, but you said it kind of harshly. Well, they had it coming. Well, who appointed you as the Lord's avenger? This needed to be said. Well, maybe it did, but why say it in anger? Well, I'm just doing the Lord's work. <laughs> Are you sure about that? Let's be clear. Truth must be spoken. Rebuke must be given. Crimes must be punished. Sinful behavior must be confronted. Troublemakers must be dealt with. I mean the wolf in sheep's clothing must be exposed. I mean Jesus used extremely strong language when he confronted the Pharisees in Matthew twenty three. I mean, sometimes we will have to say things others don't want to hear. Even when we speak with thoughtfulness, our words may seem harsh. This passage isn't telling us to keep silent in the face of evil, but we must not return evil for evil in the way we speak, or we have descended to the level of those we criticize. You know, it's hard to find the right balance between grace and truth. We all tend to fall off the fence on one side or the other. But that's why we need the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 5. Hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. You know, friends, it's easy to see a speck in your brother's eye, and much harder to see it in your own. When we deal with the faults of other people, our greatest need is for clear vision. First, we must see clearly, and we cannot do so until we have removed the impediment for our own eyes. To simply gaze on the sins of others is vain and empty and wrong. It turns us into judgmental Pharisees who are quick quick to condemn. But once we are cleansed and humbled by the Lord, then we are ready to remove the speck from our brother's eyes. He will be glad for us to do it because he knows we are not there to condemn, but to help. If we are hasty with our words, we can cause more harm than good. You know, there's a difference between someone who loves you and wants to help you and someone who puts you under a microscope only to find fault with all you do. Now, I've found that those most critical of others tend to have the most sins in their own lives. Those closest to God tend to be the most charitable. They are the quickest to forgive, quickest to restore, and the quickest to help someone who's struggling with sin. If we stand back and think about this passage, it should lead us to a simple conclusion. We must be careful and cautious when we speak. Think before you speak. Pray before you speak. Pause before you speak. Don't be a verbal assassin. I mean, say nothing about others that you would not want them to say about you. Say nothing about others that you would not say in their presence. Most of all, say nothing about others that you would not say if Jesus were standing there watching the conversation. You know, it's easy to think a message like this doesn't apply to us. Maybe some of you actually thought that as you've been hearing these words. or We think it only applies to us a little bit, but we know someone who needs us a little lot more than we do. Well, perhaps it would be helpful if you gave this message uh, to your spouse or a close friend and asked, how much of this applies to me? I mean, that could be pretty risky, but it's also a path to new spiritual growth. Friends, we will never control our tongue on our own. We need Jesus to help us. We need the Lord living in us, and we need the Lord living through us. He alone can tame the tongue and replace the smell of brimstone with the fragrance of heaven. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion. God bless.